Hi, and welcome to Literary Work in Progress, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. Before we get to our introductions, I just want to let everyone know that this is going to be the last episode of the season. Dun, dun, dun. But <laughs> that's okay, we're not ending, we'll just come back in a couple weeks stronger and better than we were before. I'm Kristen, and the first big piece of writing I can remember was with my friend Tandava in third grade, and we wrote a script about a girl who wished she had never been born and got wished to the land of non-being. She had a map that sang to her, and very Dora the Explorer, except it was before Dora the Explorer. And there was also a bullfrog. You say you're not a hipster. It was before Dora. Well, I, I don't know if it was before Dora, but it was before I knew about Dora. Oh, okay. Tanzafa might have known about it. <laughs> I'm Cameron, and the first thing I remember writing was a story that had tigers with wings in it. That was pretty much it. I'm Caitlin, and the first thing I remember writing, it was actually co-written with my best friend Ariel, and there was... I spent the whole time writing about car crashes and about just stuff happening. And she kept writing about this boy who had like red hair that was black on the ends. And she was really proud about this whole hair thing. And so there was all this romancy stuff going on on her side. And I was like, and then the car crashed. And, <laughs> and then we never finished it for some reason. I don't know. And that was my first and last foray into contemporary literature. But that was the first project I ever worked on. That's so funny. It seems like all of our earliest ideas would be really good ideas if we were to write them today. I'm just saying. That's right. In case you couldn't tell from our introductions, today we want to talk about inciting incidents and simple plot outlines. Caitlin has informed me and Cameron that not everybody is an English major or knows the basics of plot. <laughs> I know we like to believe that everyone lives in our little bubble. Actually, I wasn't an English major either. Caitlin, what is an inciting incident? I think for me, the way I like to define it, and you guys can argue with me all you want, it's when something changes and forces the character into the story. It's what gives either stakes or motivation for our character to change and starts them on their journey, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be an actual journey. Like Frodo deciding to go and take the ring to... Um, Mordor? Mor no, take the ring to Rivendell. Oh, the first time. Yeah, the first time. <laughs> yeah. There, that was the inciting incident there. But then you also have, like, the hate you give. The inciting incident is her friend getting shot. And so it's just the beginning of the actual story. It's the difference between the before, this is how my life was, and why it changed. So now there's a story. So I think another way to look at it is that the inciting incident, you can also kind of identify it by it's the reason the book begins where it does instead mm -hmm. of anywhere else. Right. I would agree with that. Like in my book... Last Star Burning, um, shameless plug for myself here. Before, we have lots of nasty stuff happening to the main character, Sev, and it seems like there are lots of things that maybe would make her want to change her life, but it isn't until she gets blown off a bridge by a bomb that she's like, oh, I have to leave her, they're going to kill me. So something big happened that made her change. So what makes a good inciting incident? I think this is, this is at least one way to look at it. Inciting incidents are one of those tools authors can use to make really good... Uh, tonal promises about what the rest of the book is going to be like. So, for example, Last Star Burning, this is not the last time we see something explode. <laughs> <laughs> if it's still worries, this is going to tell you this is a book where things explode and people die, and in general, it's horrible. So Great. It's, <laughs> it's a horrible book. <laughs> it's, it's dystopian fiction. 
It's a horrible world. It's not a horrible... Like, I I would not want to live there. (laughs) So the point being that in this instance, it makes a promise about what the rest of the book's going to be, and it helps get the main character out the door. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of what another example could be. I'm going to go back to Jurassic Park because I like talking about that one. We talked about it kind of briefly a couple episodes ago where you have the dude, the, 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 the park employee gets eaten by a raptor. That's the inciting incident because once that happens their insurance people throw a fit and they say we need to have someone come and inspect, inspect the park and that's what goes and grabs all the main characters to show up. Would you say that each character has their own inciting incident or the plot itself think, needs I to would, have? I would say actually that every, I don't know if this is necessarily always true as a rule but that every single plot line, whether it's a character development or whether it's a romantic arc or whether it's we need to do this to save the world, every single one of those plot lines is going to have its own inciting incident. You're looking at them as catalysts then. And I think that's a really solid way to look at things, particularly because I think like the big inciting incident of a book can tell you a lot about the character and how that character is going to change throughout the book because I expect the way that the character reacts to the inciting incident to be a little bit different from the way they react to like the climax, because through that space of time of the book, they're going to have experienced stuff that will make them change. So I think, as well as launching you into a plot, an inciting incident can also give us a hint of what needs to change about this main character. And so with having little mini-catalysts, mini-inciting incidents for each like main story arc, I think that it can do the same thing, where it, I guess, tells us what to expect by way of development and change. I think that's true. I think it's a really good gauge for how much your character has grown. Back to Last Star Burning. We can talk about other books too, but that's actually one of the things I really liked doing with it is at the beginning with the inciting incident, she's kind of passive and gets thrown into stuff. And by the climax, she's like, no, this is what we're going to do. Maybe another way to look at it along very similar lines, though, is that generally, not always, the inciting incident is what it takes to make the main character change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It says a lot about the character to look at what it took to make them leave their normal life. I would definitely agree. Like in The Hate You Give, which is an amazing book by Angie Thomas. If you haven't read it yet, please do. Seeing her best friend get shot is what makes her realize that one of her friends is really super racist. And it's also what makes her realize that the way her dad is handling things, well, it's not the thing that makes her realize this, but it's one of the reasons she starts talking about it. It compels her to change the way she interacts with her dad and also her boyfriend. And all of the change that happens is a direct result of this beginning incident. So maybe going back to Jurassic Park, it's extremely noteworthy that someone has to get brutally eaten by a raptor before they call in inspectors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, like, when we were talking about books, Illuminae is the one that came to my mind because I love that one, and the inciting incident is literally that their home asteroid gets blown up. And, (laughs) like, and it's a huge foreshadow into hey, guys, there are going to be some zombie-like creatures and we're going to have to deal with space reavers and also there's all sorts of big problems and a scary AI. Like, it's just you are going to expect sci-fi action and that these main characters have to deal with that terrifying sci-fi horror. Mm -hmm. Another really good one is Red Rising, where (laughs) the inciting incident is his wife getting executed. And sorry, spoilers, it happens within the first, like, two chapters of the book. And it also sets tonal promises about lots of people dying and then being relevant and like close people to the main character. Well, and that inciting incident stays really relevant through all three books. Like there is never a moment where that is out of Darrow's mind. Mm -hmm. It's constantly present. And I think that's particularly interesting. I think that it needs to be relevant to the plot. There are more 
than one books that I can think of, unfortunately, where the inciting incident forces your character to move, but it doesn't ever come up again. And so I think that maybe not all books, but I feel like the inciting incident should really set off the plot and continue to be relevant rather than just being a thing. And that instead of being a series of, I think this is a, a problem that a lot of authors have actually when they're first starting out is they have a series of like vignettes, little short stories where the character goes through this and then this. It's almost like a series where you just want to see your character go through stuff and they aren't necessarily linked except for that they're the same characters. I think that's a mark of an actual novel is that the action starts with your inciting incident and then the rising action and the climax are all related. Which, I mean, goes back to Red Rising, right, as mm -hmm. that series, because that's what it does. And I think that makes it a lot stronger. Sort of along similar lines, one of the things I was thinking about is I like it when the inciting incident informs why this is the person the story is being told about and why this and, and more generally why this is the story being told. And something about it suggests... Oh, I'm trying to think about what a good example is. So if we're, what, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get to this later um, when we're talking about our, our submission critique. But if, if we're telling a story about a soldier in World War II, I want to know why it's this specific soldier rather than any of the millions of others. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, it doesn't have to be anything grand. It doesn't have to be, you know, earth shattering, like you are the chosen one, therefore the story is about you. Just something as simple as what makes you different and mm -hmm. therefore worth paying attention to. Do you disagree? I think I would have agreed until I saw Dunkirk, and what I like most about that movie is that none of the characters have names or, like, are memorable in very much any way. I think it gets to the theme of war in a way that wouldn't have been accomplished if I knew why we were following those particular soldiers, other than that, that they were lucky initially. So, I, in general, I agree with you, but I think there are always times where you can break a rule. Can you expand on lucky initially? The movie opens, he's in his town in France main character is running and getting shot at with a bunch of other people trying to get to like a safe zone. He's the only one that survives and we follow him for the rest. But he, spoiler, he ends up dying later along with a big group of friends. So it's just, or I think he ends up dying later. The point is, is that the characters become so mixed together in my brain because I don't know the most of their names. I'm not really sure where they're from or why they're here. All I know is that they're the people we're focused on. So I might get like really meta on that and argue that in that instance, the event itself is the character we're following mm. and not an individual. I think that you can do <laughs> that totally for possible. movies, but it's probably it's harder to pull off in a book. I'm thinking Sanderson's interludes. Where you I know if you're those. a Sanderson. Well, you oh, wait, yes, I have. Any of the middle of this. If you're a real, maybe I'll use quotes here. If you're a real Sanderson fan, <laughs> part of the reason you're here is because you love the world. The world itself is a character. So hypothetically at least, you are okay with the sections where here is a character, we're going to follow them around for a chapter and then probably never see them or the place they're in ever again. You're okay with that because you know you care about the world and then this place, the world is a character. So why this story? Because the world, that's right. See, I feel like all the interludes are specifically to to put things in the plot in context and that they will be relevant later. I skip most of them. That does. <laughs> <laughs> you're like my husband he's like i skipped the prologue and i'm like a prologue is not sanderson any book mm, actually yeah. he started the scorpio um the scorpio races oh and gosh. i was like you can't, you can't skip, skip the that. prologue anyway sorry <clears throat> go ahead I, I, well so i agree that i agree that they lend context and what i'm saying is that the reason you're okay with just them adding context is because you care enough about the world that you want additional context for it now 
Yeah, well, I can see that. And I think yeah. in certain kinds of books, like Sanderson's books are big enough to like hit someone over the head and kill them with. Like he has <laughs> the room in his book to do that. But most books, especially if you're – all of us write YA. Mm. I mean, I write other stuff too and all of you guys have probably yeah. dabbled in other genres. But Cameron's like, what, what? well, don't define me. Just getting a little away from it. What I said originally was it doesn't have to be an earth-shattering reason. It can't yeah, no, you're yeah. totally right. <laughs> as simple as <laughs> – uh-huh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just think that I just think that it really helps if the author is conscious of why you why now. Uh huh. Yeah. And that and that if you can find a way just to hint at that in the writing. In other words, it's it's simple, but if it's not there, I think it causes a big problem. Mm-hmm. I think that there are lots of times when inciting incidents and the typical framing of a story is the rules are all broken. Yeah. Like I was, as I was reading this, because uh, our submission is set in World War II, I went back and read the beginning of All the Light We Cannot See, which inciting incidents, they don't happen until like no. the middle of the book. You spend the whole book trying to figure out how the characters got to where they are because it ends with the beginning. I mean, it starts, the very first chapters are the beginning of the climax. We have yeah. a nonlinear timeline. And so, and I think a lot of time travel slash nonlinear timeline books are like that. Or even books we've got dual timelines like i'm thinking station 11 mm-hmm. one of the timelines has an inciting incident and that's the plague but like the timeline about what happens after most of the humanity has died i'm not sure that there's a inciting incident i can remember it's just a group of actors traveling across a war-torn country it's really great but i'm not certain that i know what the inciting incident is so i think if your chronology is not normal you're gonna have to mess around with this a little bit but for like a typical beginning middle end happens in normal order i i think you really do need some inciting incident near the front of the book yeah and with the genre's rewrite it's usually within the first or second chapter it's unfortunately <laughs> so i totally no. agree especially especially why fiction you want that inciting incident to hit early and fast so people know what they're dealing with yeah especially for agents and publishers yeah because we care <laughs> well you have to be able to say this is where the book sits on the bookshelf this is what the book is going to be about. And if you don't know what the inciting incident is and you don't hear the voice, like those two things aren't there. So yeah, exactly. that's why the first chapter is so important. And that's why we do these critiques, because having your first chapter be polished and be tight and to really convey what your book is about is so important. But every like all the advice we give, <laughs> there are so many caveats and like broken rules. And yeah, none of it is definitive. It's just a good place to start. Yeah. It's general rules, and it's good to know the rules before you break them. So I think it's time that we move on to the critique. So just a quick recap of how we do it. We spend about two minutes on stuff that we like, and then we think this author has done really well, and then we'll spend the remaining time discussing things that need a second look. We'll try and avoid being prescriptive, and that means that Cameron can make a little alarm bell when we are (laughs) (laughs) Or Caitlin, if she wants. I mean, I'm not choosy. You're not defining us either. No, I'm not. I do not define. So a quick recap of... The submission, Caitlin kind of, Caitlin mentioned it? Both of us did. Caitlin and Cameron have discussed it, and so did I when I talked about Dunkirk. It's a World War II story about a soldier that ends up in a very terrible situation, and we see a little bit of the climax, and then we slide all the way back to like his childhood and see how he grew up. We see the beginnings of how he got to where he is. So one thing I really like is when the main character is lying in the snow there's a lot of like horrible stuff going on. Like people are dying around them. There's blood getting places. And initially the voice is so clinical about this. And to me, I thought it did a really good job of demonstrating this character's shell shock and 
how, I guess later how it deteriorates into pure emotion because he does get pretty emotional about it. No, I'll, I'll definitely second that. I think it makes really good tone promises about how the rest of the book is going to handle violence and the horror of war in general. So I think, especially considering it then jumps back to not that, it's really good to have that at the beginning so that readers aren't surprised when it comes back up later. Yeah, it makes really good promises about what the book is going to be about. And actually, we even get a little hint of the character's arc that's coming mm -hmm. because the end of the little opener is, how did I get here? And I think Cameron wants to talk about that a little bit in the second look stuff. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, which is fine. But I actually liked that. I like that he is kind of hopeless and we have like blood dripping into his ear and like everybody's freezing and he's worried that he's going to die and he doesn't have sufficient clothes and all this stuff. He just there's a really wonderfully awful picture painted of where he is. All right. So let's move on to things that need a second look. This submission starts off with two historical notes, which are really interesting and I think relevant. However, I think that for the most part, when you have a historical note from the author, it either comes at the end or it's very, very brief. As I mentioned when we were talking earlier, after reading the submission, I went back and read some of All the Light We Cannot See, which is set in the same time period, and does have little notes at the beginning, but they are very short, like less than two sentences, quotes from people from the era. And I think that especially in this situation where if you're thinking about submitting a manuscript, if you want an agent to be engaged and interested in what they're reading, the historical note is not a good place to start. Yeah, I will agree with that. I think that's really it exciting information so we know what you've done to like research but i think it should go at the end and all the details that you would get through a historical note can also be dropped through the plot and the prose itself especially since i mean so we start in the middle of the war right but then we jump all the way back to his childhood so there's there's lots of there's lots of nice establishing details in the notes but i think a lot of them could be shown instead of told i'm being obscenely prescriptive right now could be shown instead of told in the narrative that's going to lead back up to the war rather than just having them dropped at the beginning just for the record, I love historical notes. There's one in my book, and I think they're a great extra thing that you have to assume that most readers will skip. Um, something else that I think could use a second look in this submission is the show versus tell quotient. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of kind of this, this protagonist is telling us a story like we're sitting around like a fire and he's when I was young, that sort of thing. But I think that we could get a lot of the more relevant details through a couple of good scenes where we can find out that this boy grew up fishing with his friends because we see him fishing with his friends, if that's relevant, rather than being told that that's one of the many things he did while he was growing up in a simpler time. I think for me, there was, there was so much passive telling in that first chapter that I, I actually, like, without realizing it, started to read it as if it was a creative nonfiction um, essay, because I, I work a lot with those. Which is to say that that style definitely works, it's just not necessarily the style that a lot of novels are written in. And if you're going to look at writing something, which is, I think is interesting, I think is interesting, if you're writing something that is historical, it can give you a certain weight. If this sounds like a creative nonfiction essay, then that makes it sound like, well, this really actually happened. That said, there are certain things that I look for when I'm looking at creative nonfiction essays that make them more engaging than they are otherwise. Uh, among that is there's a couple of different times where the character reflects that, oh, th those times were simpler. Whether or not this is actually the case, I'm going to say that it is never the case that when you look back on simpler times from later in life, it's like, oh, it wasn't actually simple. It seemed simple. But there was actually tons going on. I just wasn't old enough to pay attention, or I, I wasn't paying attention, and I was old enough, or whatever. It's like being nostalgic about your own innocence. It, exactly, exactly. So a way 
being obscenely prescriptive again, to make that more interesting is to throw in the, the things that only you having perspective looking back can know and show. That's not, again, I'm being super prescriptive, so you don't have to do that. It's just an idea. Especially because another possibility is just give us scenes. <laughs> yeah, I think that you've got plenty of meat here for like character building and voice and showing us where our character is coming from, but the way it is told right now, it just sounds like this guy spinning stories. And it's hard to get invested in the character and to feel like you're on board if you're just being told about them. Well, especially because that first bit during the war zone had so much voice that I feel like it gets lost a little bit in the recapping sort of feel. I mean, the good news about writing fiction is that there are a million good ways to solve problems. And as long as you're trying to address issues, then you're going to find something that works. Mm -hmm. It's the difference between telling us my family was close, family was more important than politics, and saying when my dad got home, he kissed my mom and sat next to her and talked for a while. And then we all, and then showing us that they're close or showing the dad saying to somebody at church, you know, I'll let the president take care of politics. It's not my thing. But instead of us seeing it within a scene, you just told us. Well, and something that's worth, sorry, Cameron, but something that's worth thinking about is that when we say like use a scene, it doesn't have to be paragraphs long. And mm -hmm. one of my editing classes, we're working on a manuscript where working on adding in a lot of shows not tells and these scenes are like one or two sentences long but they have done so much to improve the manuscript so that's something that i mean i personally am trying to work on because usually when i use scenes they're really long but short ones can be effective too and then noteworthy at the same time that you don't act that you don't have to go completely the other direction and show everything mm -hmm. it's it's perfectly acceptable to have lots of tells you just want to have a good mix that yeah. matches what you're trying to accomplish. So what you need to do is decide what you want to do and then write it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so if we don't have anything else... Oh, I did want to mention that it seems like, and this might just be another function of telling, that there are a lot of very short, to the point, choppy sentences. There's not a whole lot of sentence variation. So I feel like I say this in every submission, but maybe try reading your, your work out loud because it helps you to feel like sentence variation. And so maybe give that a look. It's always kind of embarrassing to me to work out because you catch stuff you would miss otherwise. But yeah, if that's all, I just want to finish up by reminding you guys that this is our last episode of the season. But never fear, we're going to come back in January stronger and better and full of great new ideas. So in the meantime, enjoy your holidays, eat good food, rest, enjoy whatever you are doing, and write a lot. This has been Literary Work in Progress. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next year. Hi, Caitlin here. If you're interested in looking at the submission that was featured in today's podcast, you can find it on our website, literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. That's literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. And we'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to our podcast in iTunes and leave us a rating and comment while you're there because it helps other people to discover our podcast. Thanks.